This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code REALSIMPLE at checkout to get 10% off. Hello and welcome to I Want to Like You, a weekly podcast from Real Simple about how to handle the irritating people in your life with goodwill and grace. I'm Kristen Van Ogtrop, the sometimes argumentative editor of Real Simple. And with me today is Dan Cohen, who is a professor of philosophy at Colby College who studies arguing. Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm terrific. Thank you for being here. And we'll try not to get into an argument, although I hear you have a classic lifelong-ish, as now a resident of Maine, argument, right? Well, that's true. First off, I don't think that the words recreational argument are oxymoronic. I think they go together very well. So the idea of having an argument doesn't frighten me at all. It's something I like to do. Uh, I live in Maine. That's true. I grew up in the New York area. So I, I, I come to Maine with a lifelong attachment to the New York Yankees. As you should. And that that generates a lot of arguments up here. Well, because, you know, the Yankees Red Sox is such a it's like a cultural trope. Right? That's right. So I wear my Yankee hat out around mostly to just get in people's faces about it. Oh, okay. So I just, I want to just step back for one second to say you might be the kind of irritating person that this whole podcast topic is about. But now you're going to, we're going to spend the next, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour talking about arguing and how it's good, how it's bad, when argumentative people are irritating. I, I will say, quickly that so I'm my dad's Dutch and so I'm half Dutch and my husband read this book about Dutch soccer called Brilliant Orange mm -hmm. a few years ago and there was an anecdote about the Dutch soccer Dutch national soccer team and when you get on the bus with them and how they respond to the bus driver compared to how other national teams will interact with the bus driver and basically, long story short, the Dutch players get on and they immediately start arguing with the bus driver. Like, why are you going this way? Are you sure that's the right route to take? I don't know why we want to go there for dinner. Like, everything the bus driver does, they question. <laughs> and so I, I do think that I'm – and how – you know, the writer was trying to make the point that this is part of the Dutch character a little bit. So if those around me describe me as argumentative, I'm going to claim it's part of my Dutch heritage. I don't know if – you know, in thinking about yourself and the Yankees-Red Sox thing and the provoking, the intentional provoking you do by wearing your Yankees hat, where do you think that comes from in you? Well, I, I grew up in, a, uh, in a, a, you know, a New York area Jewish family where arguing was a way of relating to people. It was a way of communicating. It was a, a social activity. Mm -hmm. It was a recreational activity. Now, when I say recreational, that's important because I think there are lots of different kinds of arguments and one of the ways that people be, uh, can be annoying in arguments is that they, they don't recognize whether they're arguing recreationally, which is the Red Sox versus the Yankees, or over a practical matter, you know, whose turn is it to do the dishes, or whether they're trying to argue to justify something or to fix blame on whoever it is who uh, let the dog out, or you know, a personal argument. If we're having a personal argument, um, if you return a car with the gas tank empty – and the argument that results threatens to disrupt end a 10-year friendship. Right. Two things. One, you know it's not about the gas tank. You're not arguing about the empty car. And, and, and second, if, you can, if, if that argument can destroy a 10-year friendship, then you're not very good at being a friend and you're not very good at arguing. 
that's so, so I think a lot of annoying arguers don't appreciate whether it's a recreational argument, a personal argument, a, a justification argument, an academic argument. You know, I, I'm an academic, so I argue about things like whether physicalism versus functionalism is a better philosophy of mind or, or whether string theory is properly a, a, a science or a, a metaphysics. And the arguments will be heated sometimes, passionate, but you need to step back and ask, why is it so important for me that my opponent believes what I believe? Is, is you know, making other people believe what I believe, something they don't want to believe? That's not a nice way to behave to, towards other people. Right. Okay. So, so that was an overwhelming number of things you just introduced because there's so much to talk about there. So first of all, I want to say that I want to be you and I'd rather argue about string theory than the dishwasher because I spend most of my life arguing about why do, with my teenage son, why do I have to empty the dishwasher? So when you're having an argument with someone, do you personally, and should we all stop and think, okay, hold on, just like have a mental conversation with yourself. What kind of an argument is this? Is this an argument where I want to win? Is this an argument where I'm trying to get the other person to see things my way? And P.S., is that quote-unquote winning? Or is this just recreational arguing and we're both having fun? Like, do you stop and think about what kind of argument you're having? Well, I, I try to. When you enter an argument, it's a good idea to envision what kind of exit strategies you might have. Right. So if you go in thinking it's a win-lose situation and you, it's either going to end in glorious triumph or ignominious defeat, you've already cut off half the possible exit strategies. You ask, ask yourself this. What, when was the last time you walked away from an argument and said, wow, that was a good argument? What would be the case? What would have to be the case for you to walk away from an argument you lost and say, wow, that was a good argument? Oh, my gosh. So I'm not that big a person, actually. <laughs> when I when I lose an argument, although you're giving me a goal for today, when I lose an argument, I never feel good afterwards. So so Dan, tell me, how do I get like so if I have an argument with my husband about, you know, just some really mundane, everyday couple who's been married for a long time, running a household with three children type of argument, you know, oftentimes he will, I think, point out things that he is right about. But I think I just, I don't want to be wrong. Yeah. And so I think later I can look back on that argument and say, you know, humbly, you know what, he was right. And right. I was being a big jerk or I'm a complete idiot to think that way sometimes. But, but in the moment when I walk away, I don't feel like, wow, that was really, that was a great exchange. How do you, how do you become that evolved a person to feel that way? I'm not there. <laughs> You're not there either. <laughs> but here's here's what I like to here's what I like to think about myself as an arguer. I like to think that I'm a I'm a good enough arguer that I know I know a lot of the tricks in arguing that I I am never forced to be in the position where I'd have to say, "Gee, I guess you're right. I lose." Mm -hmm. I can I can wiggle out of that, so I never have to say that. That's one way of being a good arguer. A way a way of being a better arguer is to recognize those that, that you're doing that and later on say, oh, I, I uh, guess that person had, another, had a point. And as you just said, you, you gain from the argument later on when it's not a matter of face. So the better arguments will actually learn from losing. The best arguers yeah. not yeah. only can learn from losing, but they can do it on the spot. They can, you know, they can be good enough. You have to be good, a good arguer to admit that you've learned and not equate learning from losing. 
If you learn from someone, why is that why is that losing? So I'm going to put you and and there might not be an answer to this question, but is there could you could you give like a real life whether real or fictional example of what you just said, a good arguer who on the spot learns like is able to pivot basically and learns from arguing with the other person and walks away satisfied. Arguing with someone and realizing that they're making a good point, and, and I'll say, and this is, a, this is also just a, a good exit strategy for lots of arguments, especially the annoying arguers, is, is to say, you know, that's a good point. Let me think about that for a while. That way you get to disengage. Mm-hmm. You get to adopt the view if you want without losing face, as it were. You're not losing it on the spot. You're saying, Let me think about that. That's a, that's a potentially good point. I need more time to, to, to think about that. If, or even if you if you put it this way, you know, I think what you're saying deserves more thought than I can give it in the heat of a b- argumentative battle. So let me think about that. Yeah. That, so Kristen, our producer, is vigorously nodding. I think she's going to be using this in her own life. I'm I'm looking at her across our studio. Anyway, me too. Well, Keep going. What a good strategy. You're, you're saying I just need time to think about it. You you may be right. You're not admitting that they're they are right. You also get to cut off cut off the argument. So it's um that's a a win-win situation. The best arguments for me are the ones where, regardless of whether I win in the traditional win-lose situations, that I I think that I've gained something by arguing. Mm-hmm. So let me let me give two cases. There's, there's I got into two extended arguments, not on just one occasion, with with two different people, two, from two different co- one's a colleague, a very uh, politically conservative colleague. Mm-hmm. And I'm not mm-hmm. about same-sex marriage, mm-hmm. and he was arguing why why it shouldn't be allowed, and I was arguing for it. And he's a guy that I like to argue with. He's he's a good arguer. Mm-hmm. He's smart. He acknowledges your good points. Expects you to acknowledge his good points. Can argue intelligently and passionately without taking it personally. Yeah. So he can, Disagree without being disagreeable, which is probably pretty rare, right? Oh, in, rare. in a person, and, yeah. And what makes him the the best arguer for me, from for me, best argument made for me is he's reliably wrong about everything. So <laughs> it really makes it makes it more fun. <laughs> so he's a perfect foil for you. I think so, but he probably has a different take on it. Yeah. But in arguing about this, the same sex marriages, I'm rehearsing some fairly standard arguments for it, and he was, you know, in listening listening to his reasons. I was able to figure out that he was coming at it from, from two different angles. One was a sort of a traditional Burkean conservatism about the, the tried and true methods of society and, and, and traditionalism. And the other was a kind of a natural law argument mm-hmm. stemming from, let's say, Thomas Aquinas in using procreation as the, as the telos for, mm-hmm. for, uh, for marriages. And I hadn't crystallized the opposition in, in those two ways. And so I, I was able to sort my arguments for allowing same-sex marriages to respond to what I saw were his legitimate concerns. And so I think my own position improved a lot by arguing with him. So that that's a win-win situation, I think, for me. So you learned. I learned. So in other words, you were able to crystallize your own rationale in, our, in favor of same-sex marriage by, he, by responding to, to what he, the why he opposes it. Right. 
The offices of Real Simple recently moved downtown in Manhattan, and now I take the subway, which I haven't done in many years. And one of the most interesting things I've seen on the subway lately are the ads for Squarespace, which are incredibly beautiful. There's a guy, like, climbing a gorgeous mountain. There's this really pretty shot of what looks like black raspberry ice cream which is, you know, black rice by ice cream, never fails to catch your attention when you're riding the subway. And it's just those ads speak to me about how Squarespace really values beauty. And if you're a person who is building your own personal website, I can tell you as the editor of Real Simple who sees a lot of ugly websites out there, beauty is really important. It's easy to achieve with Squarespace because you don't know how to code. Well, if you're me, you don't know how to code. You don't have to know how to code. And the tools are really intuitive and easy to use. Not only that, but you will get a free domain if you sign up for a year using Squarespace now. So if you want to build your own beautiful website and start your free trial today, go to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, make sure you use the offer code real simple and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. So here, I want to give you a really, really mundane I know we keep using the dishwasher, but I'm going to go back to the dishwasher. Sure. So I've got three kids, and one of them is 17. And I read this book over the summer called The Teenage Brain, which actually was super helpful. Probably the best parenting book I've ever read because it makes me understand that teenagers do certain things that are just sort of biologically mandated and not because they're trying to be super difficult. But he, you know, sometimes I will say to him, I want you to do X. Let's say X in this case is unload the dishwasher. And I don't want you to argue with me about it. Like, I'll cut it off before he even, you know, because I don't want to hear it. I just want him to unload the dishwasher, you know. And my husband, actually, who is an excellent arguer, and I think in all the years we've been married, I've improved my arguing skills. He, He thinks I should hear my son out and, like, deal with the arguing just because my son should be able to have a voice. And I just think that's total BS, and why can't the kid just empty the dishwasher? So can you give me your opinion about that? So in an an ideal world, we'd have, you know, when time is no object, we have have world enough in time to argue about every little difference. Mm -hmm. Then we can do that. But there are 24 hours in a day. You can't argue about about everything. There's a time and place and a topic and, and, and people who are appropriate for, for arguments. So when I think about good arguments and bad arguments, some of the really best arguments are arguments that he didn't have. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. You know, we, could, we could have argued about that and, and we didn't. And that was really a good, that was a good move. Can you give me an example? There's a, there's a time and a place for arguing. You know, if you look, if you're at the dinner table, in a family gathering, you have a Thanksgiving dinner and there's, there's 30 people there. And, you know, in the corner, old Uncle Elmer, who's 94, makes some nasty right. comment. Maybe right. a racist comment. Yes. Do you argue? We all have an Uncle Elmer, don't we? Right. We all do. So, so do you argue with him? Well, he's, 90, he's 92 years old. Right. It's a family gathering. No. You, you cut the guy some slack. It's, this is not the time and the place to argue about that. Right. But then your 10-year-old nephew looks at you. Sees you hear Elmer say that and 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 not and not respond, so maybe you should argue about it. You owe you owe an argument to your nephew. 
Right. So we have conflicting things here. You know, it's not the time and place to argue, but you have this other obligation, this reason, this, the, there's a, really an imperative there, thou shalt argue. Okay, so what do you do? If you're sitting there and you have the 10-year-old nephew and you have Uncle Elmer, what do you, Dan Cohen, do? You, tr- you try and balance the imperatives. You, so what you could do is you could talk to your nephew and say, look, you know what, what, what Elmer said, cut him some slack. And right. yeah, that's, that's patronizing in one, in one direction. But you can say that you can say to your nephew, "Hey, uh, let's let's talk about this later." What he said was inappropriate. And let me explain why. So you're deferring yeah. the argument to a different, a different time and place. Yeah, and the dinner table is appropriate for some arguments. Okay, but you know that if you that if you engage uh, if you engage him, Elmer in this argument, there's no really conceivable, no possible good outcome for arguing about that topic in that place. So I think that there are two topics that are really ripe for, for uh, thinking about that have been, haven't been examined much, you know, misbegotten arguments, arguments that are inappropriate for the time and place, and then missed arguments, arguments that should have happened but didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And some of the worst arguments are the ones that you didn't have because there are times when we should argue. And I think the imperative comes from, you know, our relations with other people. I owe it to my nephew to argue in that case. That's where that obligation comes from. Okay, so we're getting we're getting a little short on time, but I want to ask, how do you know when it's going to be an argument that will be fruitful for either you or the other party, I guess, or one that is just you had as you put it just a minute ago, some of the best arguments are arguments that you don't have. Okay, well, you put your you put your finger on something that I think is just tremendously important. That when I think back on you know, the good arguments that I've had in my life, the ones where I walk away and say, "Wow, that was a good argument, regardless of whether I, I uh, the view I started with was the one that we agreed on or not." One feature that that jumps out is if you want to if you want to find for an argument that good, what you really need is is two things. One, you got to find a good arguer, mm-hmm. someone good to argue with, and not not all not all arguers are, are compatible that way. And it's hard to find a good arguer, someone who is intelligent, knowledgeable, who who reasons well, who listens well, who responds well. Those are doesn't all get too who, emotional, right? Who can disagree without being disagreeable? Right? Yes, that's super important. That's the first thing is, is to find a good arguer. Yeah. But the second thing, and this is even harder, is to be a good arguer. Is to listen and to respond well, and to acknowledge and and to distance yourself. You know, don't make this. Don't invest your your status as a mother in your ability to get your son to empty the dishwasher. Right. Uh, I guess I have to. You're right. You're right. You're right. You won. You, actually, you won that. <laughs> so you know, I just want to talk about the question was was annoying arguers. And there's just an, there are a couple of annoying arguers. I just want to put my identify and call out. OK. These people, I call them the the argument provocateurs. The people who don't know how to communicate except by arguing. Everything is a confrontation. Someone who will come up to you and say, well, well how would you defend the – how do you defend the, the American actions in Abu Ghraib prison, the, the treatment of the, the prisoners? Right. You say, well, I, well I, I don't. Yeah, but how would you? And suddenly you're forced to defend a position you Ugh. don't want to defend. Right. There are people who just uh, don't know how to communicate other, any other way. When you when you meet someone like that, and you, if you know someone like that, well, you just have to modulate your own behavior accordingly. Okay, 
we're going to have an argument now. I can deal with that. Okay, so that's the first kind. What's the second kind you were going to say? Then there are the, um, the I, I don't know what to call them, people who are, I, I think there's a difference between being rational, which is sort of reasoning from premises to conclusion well, and being unreasonable. Mm-hmm. And being unreasonable is more a, not a, a cognitive problem, but almost a moral problem, who just refused or are unable to see other points of view. The people who will argue the wrong topic, wrong time, wrong place, uh, and in the wrong in, in, in the wrong manner. The ones that I find annoying, because I'm a philosopher and I'm surrounded by people like this, and because I am one of these people, is um sort of the air hogs, mm-hmm. the people who want to dominate and you know, take up all the airtime, as I'm doing right now. No, you're not. You are not. Can we argue about that? You're not doing that, actually. <laughs> well, you, you might have a, you might have a point there. Let me think about it. <laughs> well, and I think when I think about this current presidential campaign, I because you didn't put a name to this second the group air of, hog. The air hog. The irrational air hog. Well, actually, there's a there's a term that that needs to gain gain more currency. So if you take an air hog, someone who just monopolizes the, the conversation, sucks all the air out of the room, and you add that to and, – and this is a technical term that I'm borrowing from the philosopher Harry Frankfurt – bullshitters. <laughs> and these are not people who, who deliberately lie. These are people who don't care about the truth. Right. They just say well, – whether it's true or false is irrelevant. Right. That's interesting. So if you take the air hogs and the bullshitters, what you get is – uh, something that is called um, the gish, the gish gallop. So okay. gish gallopers are people who just will, will spew out eighty-seven reasons for 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 a, a position. Half of them false, half of them made up, and, and without any any possibility for rebuttal. And if you rebut forty of them, you, they're still left with forty-seven other complaints out there. And you know what? There's a there's a gish galloper on the stage who won a lot of states yet in the in the uh, yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> Who will remain nameless. We are out of time, but I think as we go forward, A, in life, and B, in this presidential campaign season, I'm going to be thinking a lot about recreational arguing, about gish gallopers. And although most of us can't actually get into a one-on-one argument with a lot of these candidates that we are, are watching more and more closely every day, I think we can engage in some pretty good dialogue in our heads maybe. Anyway, we've, we've, been, we've been hearing from Dan Cohen, who is a philosophy professor at Colby College, a man who has studied arguing. He has a great TEDx talk about arguing and clearly spends, you know, a portion of every day arguing in a productive way, it sounds like. So, Dan, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. I really enjoyed that. Thank you much. So that's it for this week's episode of I Want to Like You. Our producer is Kristen Meinzer. Our editor is Tim Einenkel. And Caitlin Peary works with me on The Real Simple End to put together this podcast. Please let us know what you think of the show. Uh, you can tweet to us at Real Simple, or you can tweet ideas directly to me at Octrop for future podcast topics. For more on irritating people and how to handle them, go to realsimple.com, and of course, subscribe to us in iTunes. For Dan Cohen, I am Kristen Van Octrop. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>